This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Miranda. She loves nachos. And that's Melanie. She was once yelled at by Buster Rhymes. Okay, Miranda. Well, we're getting to the end of summer. And somehow we still haven't been in the same place for very long. I know. <laughs> what What have you guys gotten into? I, I haven't talked to you since your last couple little adventures. Yeah, we've we've had some really fun family adventures this summer. And Fisher's really just at that really fun age. He just turned six. So it's really easy to like pick him up and take him places and you know we're out of the diaper bag stage thank god we're out of the potty training stage thank god i have so many friends that are still there and my prayers and thoughts are with you it does get easier so we've just really enjoyed going out and spending time in nature and having adventures and we went on some camping trips oh my gosh okay that's what i wanted to tell you about i want to tell you about our camping trip so because we did our, our camping episode a while back right yeah and and i had it in my head that i was gonna try to use all of these cool tips and things that I talked about in the episode. Uh-huh. And um, I'm constantly reminded that, you know, I can make all these this cute content about parenting and make it sound so great and fun. And then when you really do it, it's just, I mean, it's just really just shit hitting the fan over and over again. <laughs> I mean, really, that's our whole point, right? <laughs> that's it. That's it. And so I'm never going to give up hope on the fun tips and tricks. I'm never going to give up hope. However, I have yet for it to play out as beautifully and as wonderfully as I imagine it. So we we went camping and we went to this really beautiful state park up in the, the Southern Appalachian Mountains. And it was gorgeous up there. It was June. Everything was blooming. And this was really where we felt like we could kind of get Fisher a little more involved in the camping process. So okay. we, we came up with this phrase and you're going to make fun of me. Oh, I definitely <laughs> am. <laughs> but we came up with this phrase called cooperative camper. Oh. And we're like... <laughs> We're like, Fisher, you have to be a cooperative camper. We're all going to be cooperative campers. And we talked about how like we're a team and we all have to pitch in and help out because there were plenty of times where it was like he was working actively against us. Like Brad's trying to put the tent up and like put the little stakes in the ground, you know, and Fisher's going around behind him with a stick trying to like 
fulcrum them out of the the ground. And so it was like, dude, like that's the opposite of what you should be doing right now. We're trying to stake the tent down so it won't blow away. You have to be a cooperative camper. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. It was a mess. So then, you know, of course, we had a fire and he's super excited about the fire because every little boy is excited about a fire. I mean, I think every human is a little excited about a fire. (laughs) So anyway, so we got our little fire going in the fire pit and we were getting ready to cook with our little pie irons because we brought the pie yeah irons we talked we about make that the things yeah right it was a whole plan and our it was really hard to get the fire going because it had just rained really oh, bad yeah, that does the, make the it week tough. so all of the kindling and everything that we could kind of gather around the small stuff was all really wet. And so Brad had run down to the camp store, the handy dandy camp store and got some of those little fire starters. Yeah. And, and so we were using those very strategically and very carefully and very sparingly because we had to make it through the weekend. And so I'm over at the picnic table and I'm fiddling around getting, you know, condiments and hamburger buns and all the things laid out and melanie i turn around and fisher has dumped the entire pack of the fire starters Mm -hmm. onto of course of course he has the the fire starter pack from the incredibly overpriced campground store i'm i'm sure correct Correct. And I mean, at this point, like, we can't dig them out. Like, we tried to, like, fish them out, but, I mean, it was too late. So, we had to talk again about being a cooperative camper. camper. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But all in all, you know, I got to hand it to that kiddo. We went on a four and a half mile hike. He had a blast. He did not complain. He was into it. We saw a waterfall. We hiked up onto this big rock edge thing and looked out over the lake. We had a little picnic um, on our hike and there was a natural bridge and he was into it. He was into it. So it was fun. I'm impressed. So Yeah. So that was a camping trip. And then last weekend, we actually went to uh, Charlestown Landing, which is the oldest settlement in South Carolina. It was the very first settlement in South Carolina. I haven't been there. I'm assuming it's near Charleston. It's exactly near Charleston. <laughs> and they call it um, the Old Town because it was kind of the original Charleston okay. before they moved to where Charleston now is. So they called uh, where Charlestown Landing is, they called it the Old Town because everybody moved to gotcha. the new Charleston. But anyway, it was super cool too. A couple of funny things about that trip. So one of the things that they do there, and it was amazing, uh, they have the workers and the staff of the park are dressed up in period clothing. Okay. That is way more a you thing than a me thing. (laughs) Like I cannot picture anything other than Parks and Recreation in that episode where... Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Patton Oswald is like a guest and Leslie's trying to churn butter. I, I just... It was very much that. Okay. It was very much that. But God bless these people because it was July and they were walking around in their, in their garb and no. they were just into it, you know? And they're like, oh, don't forget to come by uh the the creature feature and see our friend Gilbert the possum later. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> yeah, and we did. And Gilbert was awesome, but he was an awesome possum. But there was this one. They were doing a cooking demonstration in one of the old. They had like an old house set up there. Okay, and. They had a girl and she was going to do a cooking demonstration and like talk about the food from the garden and how everything was preserved and prepared and all of this. She's like in her period clothing. And so we get um, that sounded like like she was on her period. So she was yeah, in that's her what, period. That's where my brain just went. I'm like, oh, that was that's sh- strange. I, that's but, that's but what realistic, she had. I mean, OK. <laughs> Sorry. She was in her clothing from the 1700s. OK. And there we go. And she's getting ready to like do this little demonstration. And we kind of wander into the little house and she's getting everything out and prepared and she was a young girl. She was maybe like in her 20s. And Fisher, no shit, like for real, thought this chick lived in that house. And like, this was her job. <laughs> and so he's asking her all these questions like, hey, oh. where's your bed? And she was like trying to stay in character. So well, she's yeah. like, oh, well, we keep our beds upstairs. That's called the loft. And that's where we go up to sleep. So it stays nice and cool and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, where's your bed? And she's like, well, it's it's not here exactly like he kept pressing her and asking all these questions and anyway it was just so funny because he seriously thought that that chick lived in that little shack you know with like the dirt floor and like no windows okay so we had a great time and fisher was really good while we were there so we told him he could get something at the gift shop I'm going somewhere with this story, I promise. Okay. So he gets this this rubber snake from the gift shop. It's like okay. the one thing he wanted. I'm assuming He's... this is a state park, so it's like yeah. a fairly limited selection of Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. They have they have like some rubber snakes of various colors, and then they have those little metal rings that like connect together, and you're supposed to try to figure out how to take them apart. It's like the puzzle that your grandpa knows yeah. how to do, and he gives mm-hmm. it to you just to make fun mm-hmm. of you because you can't yeah, figure I it know out. Exactly what so you mean. So of course he opted for the snake and we're taking the snake around and it's his new favorite thing well we're right next to frothy beard brewing so we're like oh let's hop in here and and grab a beer before we head back so we go into frothy beard we're hanging out and then when we're getting ready to leave i'm gonna take fisher into the bathroom i feel like i tell so many bathroom stories on this podcast well it's a very Um, large part of parenting (laughs) let's be honest i promise more happens in my life than just me going to the bathroom but this particular time i'm with fisher in the bathroom and he of course has his snake and I'm trying to pee and he's standing, you know, kind of across the stall from me and he's like helicoptering the snake okay. Okay. and he's like woohoo look at it spin mom look how stretchy oh, it is mom no. you're in a stall <laughs> together so no one else can tell that yeah no nobody knows what's happening they're just hearing a little boy who's very excited about something that's long and stretchy and flexible (laughs) that he can spin around and so he's making all of these exclamations and it kind of dawned on me i'm like because i'm looking at the snake i know what's going on here but it kind of registered in my brain like Somebody probably has another thought here. So (laughs) I have to be very careful to say, yes, Fisher, that rubber snake that we bought at the gift shop at the state park really is very long and stretchy. You're like very loudly explaining. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, no, my son isn't in here flailing his penis around and pulling <laughs> it and stretching it. Thank goodness. Oh my gosh. These are the things we have to but think about. But at least there was no bathroom accident. That's true. That's true. That's an improvement over earlier trips in the year. So, but yeah, that was about it. We've, we've had a lot of fun and we've got another camping trip planned in a couple of weeks. So we'll see how that goes. And hopefully he will be a cooperative camper this time. So we already got him a fanny pack. Oh, oh, well, you know, teach him the ways. Melanie, we have a fun topic tonight. I think we've got uh, something a little unusual as a medical mystery, (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. Well, I was looking to have a variety of different topics for our medical portion. And even though my head is itching just from writing these notes, we are going to talk about head lice. Lice, lice, baby. Let's do it. There it is. Okay. So a little background. The head louse, also known as pediculus (laughs) humanus. Capitus. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> That's uh, its name. Just so Can you, you guys, say it again. So you guys know Pedicitus? I don't know. I don't know Pediculus? No. Pediculus humanus capitus. So if you see one, know that that's his full name. It's a pediculus humanus capitus. <laughs> it is. And uh, it is actually classified as an ectoparasite of humans, which that gave very Ghostbusters vibes to me. An ectoparasite? <laughs> An ectoplasmic parasite. <laughs> anyway, head lice are wingless insects that spend their entire lives on the human scalp and feed exclusively on human blood. Ew. I never fully realized that. What a life. Yeah, I don't think I wanted to fully realize I that. I don't think I did either. Sorry, guys. Humans are the only hosts for this p- specific parasite. So chimpanzees and bonobos have a closely related species, but this particular species only lives on humans. Hence the humanus capitus. Correct. So other species of lice infest most orders of mammals and all orders of birds. I did not know that. I never thought about birds having lice. Actually, you know, I feel like I have heard that birds have lice before, which is really sad because they're so pretty. It's a different type of louse. I guess. But anyway, here is a fun quote from a public health entomologist at Harvard University. Of all the critters that commonly feed off of humans, head lice are the least significant. Yet they have bubbled up forcibly to the top of what everyone fears. And to you, Richard Pollock, I say, that's because they're gross. They really That's are. disgusting. Yeah, they really are, Richard Pollock. Gross. I did find a few myths, so I wanted to bring those up first, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about these creatures and their whole process. The myth is lice prefer dirty hair. Mm-hmm. I had actually always thought that that was true. Did you think that was true? I feel like I heard that they like clean hair because they can move around better in it. Well... 
Here is the truth. Contrary to popular opinion, having lice does not in any way signify poor hygiene. In fact, lice are just as apt to make a home in freshly shampooed hair as they are in locks that could use a washing. And here's a quote from a lady from the University of Arizona. She says, they don't care at all. They just love warm little noggins. Ew. Ew. I know. <laughs> what a quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just love warm little noggins. Warm little noggins. Oh, man. The second myth is kids pick up lice mainly at school. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. That's what I thought, too. The truth is, although lice can be transmitted at school, kids can also catch them in a number of other places, including sleepovers on playgrounds, during sports activities, or at any kind of camp. Which, I mean, sure. really, that yeah. it's whenever they're around other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, next, myth number three, lice spread by jumping or flying. I always pictured them jumping. I don't know why. I pictured them jumping from yeah. one head to another head. Yeah. You? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I never thought about it, I guess. Well, the truth is that lice are wingless. They don't jump or fly. They don't hop from place to place. They can crawl very quickly because their legs are well adapted to it but they have to go from like one head to another like it has to be contact i guess like direct a bridge they have to have a bridge to get from one head to the other right in my mind i always thought they were like hopping over but there's no hopping like if Hmm. your head's not touching somebody else's head they're not getting Hmm. there I, so that was interesting. What about like a, a brush or like if you close, like if you... We'll, we'll get to that. You know, it does say that sharing clothes, pillows, hairbrushes, that can cause transmission. However, it's very unlikely unless it's like I'm using my brush and then I'm handing it directly to you or like mm-hmm. I'm taking this helmet off and you're putting it on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it would have to be almost immediate. The final myth is that pesticides must be used to kill lice. I don't know that I had ever even heard that. That sounds extreme. It does. Yeah. That's what I <laughs> Come here, Johnny. We got to put some <laughs> know, some right? seven yeah. dust on your head. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. <laughs> your dad's like sprinkling diatomaceous earth like, <laughs> like, on your head. The truth is that several pesticide-based treatments are available, either over-the-counter or by prescription, but these may not always be the best choice. In fact, some lice in certain areas of the United States and across the world have developed resistance to over-the-counter treatments. So sometimes, you know, you do need like a stronger kind of thing. One of the things that's listed, and I never knew this, but they list in here the pesticide, they call it a pesticide, ivermectin. Is that not what people were taking for COVID? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what people were taking for COVID. It's a dewormer, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. So I I like triple checked the spelling. Apparently there's like an ivermectin cream Hmm. that 
like can be used and then there's also a pill form but it really says that that's very expensive and like more or less kind of overkill those are our four myths and and some truth for each of those but then i wanted to talk a little bit about this head louse they are tan or grayish insects and they're about the size of a strawberry seed which seems very small to me yeah but at least you can still see it, though. Like, it's visible. It's not like it's, it's visible, yes. microscopic. It feeds, like I said, on blood from the human scalp. The female louse produces this super sticky substance that attaches each egg to the base of the hair shaft. And the eggs are called nits. in in this whole life cycle situation here. So she like glues them to the hair shaft about a quarter of an inch or five millimeters from the scalp. They have to be close to the scalp in order to survive. Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing something in like the links of your child's hair, Mm -hmm. it's probably not lice or those aren't going to make it anyway. Now, This past spring, we had a really big neighborhood lice situation here. And it was incredibly stressful because it turns into this whole situation of like, who is patient zero? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And from the things that I've read, spring is a really big time for lice. Like, you don't really hear often about lice in the winter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like they kind of, I don't know whether that's a, a specific thing or that's just when we notice them or that's when kids are, you know, out and about more playing with friends or whatever. So we went through several scares in this neighborhood and those can turn into awkward social situations because you're keeping everybody away from everybody else and then your kids are all alone at home and driving you crazy and you're checking their scalp too much and everybody gets kind of paranoid. But one of the things that I learned through this process Process. And and it happened in the funniest way. So they were having an issue at the after school program that Jonah was going to. And they were checking everybody daily, like the staff at the after school. Cause I can oh, only wow. imagine it's a nightmare for places like that. Oh, I'm because sure. you've just got kids on kids on kids. Right, right. Um, so they weren't talking to the kids, which you know Jonah well enough to know that you like don't do something around him or to him and not explain to Without him what's going on. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. So they he knew that they were checking for lice from what he had overheard. Mm-hmm. And what they said is, oh, no, his are moving. Hmm. And he, like, panicked. Like, what do they mean? Like, they're moving. Like, they're crawling around on my head. They can right, see him. Right. Like, jeez, yeah. And so he comes home and tells me, he's like, Mama, I don't know what they mean. They said his are moving. Oh, and no. I was like, well, I don't know what that means either. Oh, my gosh. Right. Like, they're literally crawling on your head right now. They're moving around on your head. That would be what you would think first, they've, right? They've found your warm little noggin. Their warm little noggin in there. They have moved in. Well, I... I have always been super grossed out by lice. I have been lucky enough that I've never I've never had them personally, but I have very long dark hair. My husband has very long dark hair. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it would be a nightmare yeah. to get lice out of the hair around here. Yeah. So I'm in a panic and I call my mother, Mom, what do they mean? This is what Jonah heard the girl say. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> They're moving. <laughs> They're moving. His are moving. 
moving. That's all they said. His are yeah. moving. And then like passed him on, you know? They didn't say anything to me, so I was very confused. Sure. Anyway, my mother, the ever calm former public health nurse who actually used to do lice checks at the public schools when that was a thing. Of course she did. Of course she did. Yes. Says, Melanie, if they're moving, it's dandruff. And I'm like, what? And she's like, they were saying it's moving. Like, knits are glued to the hair shaft. If there's something close to your scalp that looks white, but it's moving, it's not lice. And I was like, oh, what a what a relief. It's just it's just some of that leftover cradle cap. It's just some of that leftover cradle cap We're that we good. haven't gotten with our dandruff shampoo yet. It'll be fine. We'll just throw some head and shoulders on it and move it on about our lives. Right. Oh my so, gosh. What a roller coaster that was. That was a roller coaster of an evening. You never know what's gonna happen. But to share a little bit about the Laos life cycle. They go through three different stages. So, of course, initially they are an egg, and those hatch between six and nine days. So, that adds to kind of the complication of this cycle. So, like you could have eggs laid on your head, but they're not going to hatch till next week, you know? Yeah. So, it's not like an immediate kind of thing. Yeah. Um, The next stage in their lives, um, they are nymphs, which they are immature forms of the louse that become adults in nine to 12 days. Insects have incredibly fast life cycles. So then they're mature in 12 days. So there you've got nine days for the egg to hatch, 12 days for it to be a nymph. Then it's an adult lice, which can live for three to four weeks. But each Hmm. female louse lays six to ten eggs a day no oh my gosh so you can imagine that this can compound really quick like this is faster than like exponential right here this is faster than like rabbit or chicken math (laughs) i I follow a lot of like homesteaders on and i guess chicken (laughs) chickens reproduce incredibly quickly if, if you're not watching them anyway like i said they crawl so there's no jumping so that's good to know and we mentioned it a little bit ago, but it's less likely for them to spread without direct contact. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have to be, you know, almost immediate. Pets like dogs or cats, they can't spread lice. They can't get lice because it only lives on humans. On people. So the suggestion is that if your child has lice, there are a lot of over-the-counter t- over treatment options. Like, they sell it at Walmart. We actually have a box here after the last life scare. <laughs> after the scare, yeah. <laughs> after the scare, I was like, let's just keep this on hand in case. And most of those involve a, a treatment that you put on. Mm-hmm. But then you have to comb right. each. You have to comb, like, you essentially have to comb every single strand of hair. Right. Because those knits are not coming off off without you combing them out because they're glued like that's they're such a literally good way to think about glued it. to your hair so then they also suggest that you wash items in hot water which this would be like the bedding or any yeah. stuffed animals that have been in direct contact with the person who has the lice I did say you can seal items in plastic bags for two weeks, it says, because you want it to Hmm. go the whole life cycle. Life cycle. 
Which it seems like that might be a little like it wouldn't really need to be that long because they can't live if they aren't. They are got to have the blood. Okay, they live on human heads and they need to feed every four to six hours. Oh, wow. So they can only survive for about a day. So like if they fall off of your head or your child's Mm -hmm. head, they're only going to live for a day unless they find another human that comes Mm. by. And then, of course, it mentions vacuuming. But I I read a little bit more about that because that's what was going on in this neighborhood. Like one of my other uh, mom friends, she was like vacuuming the whole house, like everything that any kid touched. Oh, my goodness. Like daily because she was kind of panicked about, you know, if we have these lice jumping around because that's what you picture. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Now, there were, um, there are actually lice treatment centers now, and I started to read a little <laughs> bit on the technology that they have. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When you say lice treatment center, like, what comes to <laughs> my mind is, like, this poor little louse is going to rehab because he's got, like, a bad, he's, he's, like, specifically a meth head. Lice, <laughs> like, specifically just those guys. <laughs> okay. Like he's all well, twitchy. <laughs> I like that whole story that you went to, but I was meaning you can take your kids somewhere and they have a staff of people that do this combing for you. Wow. And and then I even read there's like these devices that people have come up with that you like put your head under, like picture like grandma going to the salon to get her permanent set. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But instead of it being like totally hot air, it's mm-hmm. just like slightly cooler air and Mm -hmm. they're like they dehydrate the lice off your head ew oh my gosh that's gross can you imagine the dandruff after that oh gross (laughs) and then there are a lot of home remedies there's a number of oils that they Uh say can help yeah and then and i have heard this before that some people feel like you cover your head in mayonnaise overnight. Okay. You're good good to go. I researched that a bit because that sounded insane to me. And it said there's no scientific proof that that's an actual valid treatment. And I should have mentioned this earlier, but one of the main signs, obviously, is your kid's head is going to be itchy. Like that's, you know, like how do you know? Because it's like nobody's looking in the first quarter inch of their child's hair on a regular basis unless they're having a neighborhood lice issue. But (laughs) if they're like walking around, you know, kind of scratching too much, that's that's kind of, you know, need to investigate that. So real gross, but now you all know. And you said you've never had lice ever? I have never had lice. Man, that must be like another perk of being an only child because when I tell you I had lice probably like five or six six times as a kid. But here's the thing. I had two younger sisters. So I was in like, you know, the fifth grade and my baby sister who was still in preschool would get lice and then we'd all get lice. We would all have lice. And so, and we did, (laughs) I'll tell you the Tennessee method right here. I don't know if I've told you this before. When we had lice, my dad would take either mayonnaise or uh, olive oil. It was always some kind of cooking oil, oil veggie oil. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him to smear Crisco on our head if that's what was available. But we would slather our head 
heads with that. And then saran wrap because we're going to suffocate the little buggers. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So it's not just, and cause you don't want to get your pillow all oily and gross either, yeah. you know? So, so the saran wrap kind of keeps all the oil down, it sounds right? Sounds like it would be crinkly. Well, you would think so, but here's the best part of the Tennessee head lice home remedy. We'd put a pair of panties on our head. <laughs> Over top of the Over top saran of the saran wrap. wrap to hold it all together. Oh. So just picture me and my two sisters running around the house in our period clothes with panties <laughs> on our head <laughs> and saran wrap like mashed down on our foreheads. Well, oh now somebody gosh. still had to comb it out, right? And that was my mamma and God bless bless this woman because she would be bent over with like a lamp and a comb and she a would tiny go lice the comb. teeniest tiniest lice comb and she would get every single knit out of our hair oh she, wow she was experienced she was the head lice she was probably like your mom like she knew she what was she the was head, doing head lice she person. was she was the humanus capitus expert <laughs> oh my gosh yeah so wow okay we, well there you go yeah there there you go that's my life story well you know what i was thinking about it i never had lice but i think all of my close friends from when i was growing up but everybody else had siblings so i mm -hmm. think it might be the sibling factor that mm -hmm. might be what makes the difference there mm -hmm. I also, I also have like a pretty big personal space bubble and this like always have, always. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know. This is true. Another advantage. Even as a second or third grader, like I wasn't touching heads with anyone. Oh my gosh. I was like sharing clothes and hairbrushes and everything with everybody. We were like And probably leaning your head on their oh, head. Yeah. And oh yeah. Carrying your sisters around, giving uh -huh. those lice a little bridge. <laughs> well, we all made it through, but I hope that's helpful to folks out there, you know. Um It is some good stuff. It's good to know like it's good to have those myths busted, you know, because yeah. every mom panics whenever there's a lice breakout and it is it's like like you said who is patient zero and then you're like ew those people are dirty they had lice no i mean and that <laughs> is like the automatic thing that you go to you're like yeah, ew. Oh, yeah. so anyway keep an eye out you know if the if the scalps are too itchy take a look miranda did I read correctly on our schedule that you are going to talk to us today about feral children. <laughs> it only seemed appropriate uh, <laughs> because you're talking about head lice. So I'm, I'm like, what could we talk about that goes along with that? Okay, well, I... I mean, honestly, I'm actually super weirdly fascinated by feral children. They like I, I mean, I, me. I think it is a fascinating thing. I, I want to know more. Well, what do you know right now? Like, what do you think of when somebody says feral children? What do you think? of? I mean, like, aside from essentially like the jungle book, I, I think I read a story a while ago about like some kid that like lived with wolves or something. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know. I guess that's kind of what my perception is, is like kids that are on their own and like end up 
living with animals. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's real or not. Yeah. At, yeah. Or Disney. It's crazy. And I mean, like, unfortunately, it is real. Like, it really happens and it's really terrible in a lot of cases. And doing this research was like kind of hard, but still it's like such an interesting topic. And I wanted to share it for weirdos like us that are interested in this stuff. Okay. Well, I hit us with it. Yeah. I mean, well, you're exactly right. Like a lot of times when we think of feral children, we think about kiddos that are like living in the jungle, living in the wilderness, and particularly being raised with animals. But really any child who grows up isolated from other humans is technically feral. So sadly, that means that like children that are growing up, you know, abandoned, neglected, abused, like very, very sadly, like there are kids that are like locked away. Um, And it breaks my heart to think about that. Those cases are like so tragic. And most feral children, truthfully, are those kids. And of course, like because they're removed from society, they're removed from human interaction, they have a really hard time integrating into society later on. Well, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. And and there's a lot of, you know, again, we've talked about like brain development and stuff. But anyway, so by definition, a feral child is a human child who has lived away from human contact from a very young age. And that's the key is they're always children. You don't hear about, right. you know, feral adults, really. You hear about these feral children. So they've been deprived of human interaction from a very young age and they have little or no experience of human care loving or social behavior, or crucially, of human language. Okay. So heavy stuff. Um, and I, I remember I first learned about these kids uh, when I was in college and I was studying sociology. And one of the big things we talked about with the feral children is like how they force us to kind of reconsider how we think about humanity in general. So it's like, you know, yeah, these kids are humans, like they're human beings, but because they haven't been around human beings or raised by human beings, they don't have language or social skills or a desire to interact with others. It's like we're confronted with this fact that like deep down we really are animals and we're like social animals and we're going to gravitate toward whatever group will accept and have us and we're going to basically form our identity into that group. Isn't that crazy to really think about? That is really crazy. It's it's bizarre to think that it has so many implications to just the rest of us as society. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, these are human beings, mm-hmm. but they haven't been raised within a society. Right. So it's a whole different thing. It's crazy. It's so yeah. weird. And so like for for that exact reason, developmental psychologists in particular have always been super, super interested in these cases because each case kind of poses this theory that there's this critical period for so- socialization. And like if we miss out on that critical period, then it's almost like we're never able to catch back up again. Like we're never able to just become a human and just like join along with the humans (laughs) if we miss that whatever phase it is that happens when we're growing up. Okay. So it's like if you miss this phase, then you're like pretty much always going to be different. Correct. Like there's kind of 
no way to fix it. And we'll we'll look at a case like that in a second. But it kind of reminded me of um, a while, well, like our very second episode, we talked about Piaget's uh, stages of development and how like each later stage builds on the former stage. And if you don't have the former stage, then you can't progress. You have right. to have these building blocks. And basically, like if you don't have those building blocks, you don't have the language, the social skills, the desire to interact with other people you're never able to reintegrate essentially. So instead of like going down a super deep, dark thread and looking at children that have been abused and neglected, I wanted to focus on some famous feral children who were raised by animals or like lived in the wild. And I actually wanted to find like some recent cases. There are a lot of very well documented cases that really date back like all the way to the 1600s, the 1700s. And, you know, they're pretty detailed. Um, But I wanted to find some that were recent. I found some kind of surprising ones. Okay. So I've got three kiddos to introduce you to. And we can kind of talk about um, each one. This first one is the very first feral child, I guess, that I was uh, introduced to. And this is um, not personally, but when I, when I learned <laughs> the about information them, on them, <laughs> I was introduced to the information about about this one. So this is Oksana Malaya, Oksana Malaya. And Oksana Malaya was born in 1983 to negligent alcoholic parents in Ukraine. And then in 1991, So what is that? Seven years, eight years later, she was found living with these dogs in a kennel. And I I guess what happened was when she was three years old, her parents just kind of left her outside and just like left her. You know, they were drinking. They were alcoholics. They just left her in the cold. And so she found her way into this like dog kennel and she snuggled up with these little dogs to stay warm and stayed with them from age three until what age eight i guess or whenever 83 to 91 so how old was she in 1991 nobody is like where's oxana have you seen her that's really sad. It's super sad. It's super Literally sad. Literally, like, nobody. Think this is was... the '80s. This is the '80s. <laughs> well, yeah, I was born in '81. She's only two years younger than me. She would mm-hmm. be forty years old now. And I don't know if it was like really rural or like if they were in more of a urban. I don't know if it's like a okay. cultural thing, but. Yeah, she lived with these dogs, literally, like, and you can look up videos of her, and it's crazy how much this affected her behavior. She walks on all all fours, she barks, she snarls, she pants like a dog, she drinks out of, you know, she eats like a dog. Every single way, she acts just like a dog. It's wild. And because she's been on all fours for so long, like, her body, when she was a child, is kind of shaped like a dog. So whose dogs were these? This was like a wild pack of dogs or it was like-, like a wild pack of dogs. I don't know if it was like like a group because it, it did say that they were like stray dogs. Like it wasn't like somebody oh, was okay. like taking okay. care of them. I'm like, them. well, you know, certainly when Mr. So-and-so came to feed the dogs, he would notice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you would think so. Okay, so these are wild dogs, these are feral dogs, and she yeah. joins them, and they let her in. Yeah, they sure did. Wow, they okay. sure did. 
And she just, you know, again, she became very dog-like. And all throughout her teenage years, that's when she really, I guess, gained a lot of attention. And there's, I mean, there's videos of her. You can look up and find these videos of her. And she's like out there with the dogs, like rolling around in the grass and like licking her hands and everything. Who found her? Who from society Um, found her? It doesn't say, actually. Um, I would have to look that up. It just said she was found um, living with them. So, okay. Yeah. God bless Oksana. Yeah. So eventually what happened when she was found, you know, they, they brought her into to treatment, not the same treatment that the lice went to. No. She, um, she had a lot of therapy and eventually, and this was after a lot of intensive therapy, like years later, she was able to learn how to speak on a kindergarten level. And that's oh, really wow. about where she remained. Like she never really came above that. So again, it goes back to that critical period. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought about too, like if her parents were alcoholics, like could there have been some fetal alcohol syndrome going on? You know, there's a lot of things that could have impacted this, but uh, apparently she actually grew up and was able to actually get a job where she worked with animals and she was somewhat integrated into society. Well, she's probably real in tune with dog interactions. Yeah, I I would say she really is. I would say she really is. Okay, wow. So you'll have to look up like videos of her because you can easily find them. I feel like maybe I've seen something on that before because I remember like that's who I'm probably remembering when I said, you know, lived with wolves i probably had that wrong in my mind and again it's crazy like that was just the 80s <laughs> like, yeah she's she's like right in around our age which is nuts okay the next one i really uh hope i don't pronounce this last name uh incorrectly first name john last name sebunya sebunya it's a ugandan last name so oh, okay really that's a shot in the dark but this was uganda 1988 Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So John was three years old in 1988, living in a village in Uganda, when he witnessed his father murder his mother. Oh, no. At age three. So, um, of course, that was super traumatic. He ran away from home and fled to the jungle. And he found a home living with monkeys for three years. Oh, my gosh. He's Tarzan. Maybe, but they, well, no, they weren't like gorillas. They were like uh, smaller monkeys. I can't remember what kind. Okay, but still, he's living with the monkeys. He's living with these monkeys. He fled to the jungle at th- age three, and these this little tribe of monkeys or herd of monkeys or whatever you group, call a group, of, group monkeys. of monkeys, they brought him into their clan, into their fold, and uh, he lived with them for three years. And he was found by a Ugandan villager when he was six, and they brought him back to the village. And in only three years of living with the monkeys, his knees were wild from walking on them. So again, he was walking on all fours, imitating the monkeys. His nails had grown long and round. He ate roots, nuts, and sweet potatoes. And fun fact, he developed a severe case of intestinal worms, which is Oh, awful. I bet. Just to have this in here, a group of monkeys is called either a troop or a tribe. 
Okay, I was right the very first time. A troop or a tribe? How about that? So uh, he actually, and I think, again, think about that critical window. He was able to learn how to communicate. And uh, eventually he told the villagers how much the monkeys cared for him. And they taught him how to find food. They kept him safe. They taught him how to stay safe from predators. Like he was able to tell people about his experience living with the monkeys. They found him when he was six. So that's yep. what we're thinking. It was that he was younger when he was found. Possibly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because that was, he lived with them for three years. I guess Oksana lived with the dogs for maybe five, five or six years-ish. So a little bit longer there. Both both of those, though, that happened when they were three. Yeah. They started living weird. with these animals. That's interesting. Okay. This last one, I had not heard of this one. This one really surprised me and was crazy. Okay. So get ready. Buckle up for this crazy story. This is Prava, the bird boy. Prava? Prava. Bird boy. Yes. And I, I think this is somewhere in Russia. But get this, 2008. 2008. No. Yep. Okay. So in 2008... This is going to break your heart a little bit. Russian healthcare workers rescued a seven-year-old boy named Prava who was living in a tiny two-bedroom apartment with his 31-year-old mother. So his mother was there. There were also dozens of birds. Dozens of birds. Dozens of okay. birds. His mother suffered from severe mental illness, and instead of treating him like a boy, she treated him like one of the pet birds, Melanie. Oh, no. This woman was like a straight-up bird hoarder and treated her child as though he were just another bird in her, oh, no. in her flock. And that is the power of mental illness. I wonder if she saw him as a bird. Like, she probably really no, thought he did. was a bird. She really thought he was a bird. Um, so she never spoke to him. So never communicated with him. Never obviously took him out of the house. He stayed in the home his whole life, those seven years. Because he was a bird. Birds. Right. He could have flown away. And she interacted with him just like she interacted with the other birds. So short from, like, feeding him bird food... Yes. Okay. He lived in this tiny room surrounded by all of these birds, bird feed everywhere, bird droppings everywhere. Ooh. And because his mother didn't interact with him, she wasn't able to interact with him. He became friends with the birds. The birds became his, his family. Family. Because okay. his mother was not, you know, she was treating him like a bird. He's looking around at all these other birds. He thinks, hmm, I must be a bird because <laughs> I'm, this is how I, you know, am being treated. Okay. So this little boy chirped, tweeted, moved all around the room just like a bird. And if he got mad, he would like flap his arms like his wings. Oh, my goodness. Crazy. 2008, 2008. But this yeah. was seven, seven years. Seven years he so lived like he this. Was, and from birth. And from birth. He was seven in 2008 yes honestly it's a miracle that he lived for that long like she mm -hmm. must have at some mm -hmm. point fed him formula or breast milk or something like there's no something. way that as a baby he was eating 
bird food. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. And maybe there were other family members that checked in early on and then oh, mother just kind of okay. downward spiraled. But so, so what happened to Prava? Eventually, his mother released him to the state. And that's where it's like these healthcare workers came in and had been kind of checking and kind of monitoring the situation. And then they finally were like, it's time for us to take him. Like, this isn't okay anymore. I feel like they were a little late if he was already seven. <laughs> oh, my but, gosh. Okay. And he's chirping and tweeting and acting like a bird. <laughs> so his mom released him to the state. And apparently he is currently still in a psychological care facility, like long term yeah. aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, care. Well, I mean, he would have to be. He's chirping. I hope they let him have a bird. I don't know what they're going to do, but that one just was wild. Wow, that so, is really, really wild. Yeah. So those are your three feral children, your kiddos there that have uh, lived with animals and taught us a lot about humanity and society and what it means to be human, yeah. what it means to be a, a kid. Like, just right. absolutely crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and I know that I've used the term from time to time, especially like during COVID. I'm like, oh, the kids are feral, but like sure, they are yeah. definitely not. Like no, that was not no. an accurate statement at all. Yeah. I guess what I tactically meant is they're just sort of running wild and there's not very many rules, but, yeah. you know, they are like fed and clothed and yeah. treated like humans. They're not neglected or isolated right. or right. abused well, or treated like a bird. How sad and and wild to think. Oh, my goodness. But also like... As sad as it is, it also gives me a lot of hope to think about the fact that like there's something within us that so craves connection, whether that's with humans or birds or dogs or right, whatever or right. monkeys. No, that's true. Like and so that part within us will it's it's kind of I guess what helps us survive, right? I mean, you think yeah. about a 3-year-old left to their own devices in the wild would never survive. But because they were looked after and cared for and they were able to integrate into some form of a group that kind of sort of looked out for them, they made it, you know? Right. And and that's actually really, really wild to think about because it's like, you're right. If a three-year-old just wandered off into the woods and never ran into any other living mm -hmm. creature, they wouldn't make it. But like the monkeys and the dogs kept those first two alive that's right insane like they shared their food like you know these these they stray dogs running around the town like safe. shared the food with oxana like you know even the monkeys you know and the little boy got intestinal worms but like they shared their sweet potatoes and their nuts with him i mean that's it's incredible yeah it really is again it's like we have something in us that we're going to connect, we're going to do whatever it is that we can to find a way, you know, to belong um, yeah. and to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that is, I think, the the takeaway and what's really amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I'm glad that you shared that with us. It's a little out of your normal wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not something I, I want to do on, on the reg, but um. Go out there and Google these kids. <laughs> I think that it's interesting for us because we spend so much time talking about motherhood. And, and and as a mother or a parent, it's very easy to be like super hard on yourself. Like, oh, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing that mm -hmm. right. And like sometimes we just need a little bit of perspective. And I feel like yeah. this yeah. 
gives us that. Like, yeah, we're not doing so bad. Right. That's true. That's true. And it makes me thankful for like these people that are out there working to try to keep kids safe, you know? Yeah, Um, for sure. Because two of these cases were parents who had addiction or or mental illness and they weren't able to provide the the care and the loving home for the children that they needed at that time. So, you know, I'm thankful for programs that are out there where it's like, hey, we're going to look out for these kids and make sure uh, that they're that they're safe. So thanks to people in that profession, too. Lots of That's crazy a- things to think about with this. No, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> yeah. Well, this episode has certainly taken us on a a unexpected journey of epic, wild proportions. What <laughs> it, kind of spotlight it, could you possibly have for us <laughs> to to follow all of this up? I will admit that this was a challenging one to make work. I try really hard to have our spotlights tied into the content of our episode. And you do a great job, if I do say so myself. Well, thank you. This one I did find particularly difficult, but then I realized I was overthinking it. So our spotlight today is an organization that is actually from our home state. Miranda and I both reside in South Carolina. This organization is called Feral Cat Helpers. Okay. I thought you were going to say like this, the sponsor a louse so he can go to rehab. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Foundation. We're not, we're not sponsoring a louse. I could not find a single charity related to feral children, so I decided we would go for the cats. Mm. So Feral Cat Helpers is located in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, which is near Charleston. They are a nonprofit 501c3 organization. They were founded in 2015, and their program, which is called TAVR which is Trap, Vaccinate, Alter, and Return, Hmm. is set up for the feral and stray cats in their community, enabling them to be Charleston County protected, free-roaming cats. So I don't know how much you know about this, Miranda. I'm the cat person out of the two of us. Yes, you definitely are. And you have lots of feral cats that you keep up with in your well, neighborhood. Well, I have five <laughs> in my neighborhood. But essentially what happens is cats will form colonies and oh, they wow. stay closed out. So if you can have all of the cats in those colonies spayed or neutered, then it's a closed colony and you don't end up pro- producing more feral cats. Because mm. cats only have to be three months old to have kittens, which is yeah. un believable and then they're nine lives you know after well, that, that so that oof, too i yeah, mean you don't even want to try that math it's a backwards math yeah so back to the feral cat helpers in addition to their taver program they provide daily feedings to various cat colonies in and around the mount pleasant area they currently care for 50 plus cat colonies on a daily basis and then they also provide food to to many low-income senior cat owners on a regular basis. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Which I thought was really sweet. I love that so Their much. ultimate goal is to open a cat sanctuary, but of course, that's kind of a more long-term goal. Yeah. Watch out, Carol Baskins. <laughs> Watch out. I mean, I think they're they're only talking about domestic cats, but you never know. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, to find out more information um, about their charity, the website is www.feralcathelpers.com, but they also have a really big presence on social media, so you can look for them there. And I'm sure that there are similar charities all over the U.S. I just went with this one because this is a state that is near and dear to both of our hearts. Yes, that's awesome. I love the thing that they do for seniors. That is so cool because there are so many studies out there, which you know, that elderly people who own pets have better brain health and just better better health overall because they're taking care of something and it gives them something to remember to do. And it's well, just and good it's companionship exercise. Too. Right. It keeps them happy. But because so many elderly people are on fixed incomes, they can't afford all of the expenses that come along right. with owning a pet. So the fact that they like provide the cat food so these seniors can have a companion, that is so cool. I love that so much. That's awesome. That was my favorite part, too. Yeah. Thanks, Mel. You're welcome. Rare. <laughs> <laughs> If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at mothermayhempodcast at gmail.com. 